Welcome to the Mike and Much Podcast. I am your host, Mike Veerman, and I am here with my friend and trusty producer and someone who has just gotten off the road, I feel like, after being away nonstop, Max Kerman. Max, what's going on? That much. Feels great to be back in the swing of things here in Hamilton. We just played a softball game. We did. And uh, we we won in the last inning, basically. It was a very exciting finish. We play on a softball team on Monday nights called Pete Rose and the Gamblers. We're, we're still in our shirts, actually, right now. If you ever want to come watch Turner Field on Hamilton Mountain, <laughs> you're welcome. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a kind of a crazy couple of weeks, and I feel like I'm a bit out of the loop right now with the Champagne Boys. You and- know what? But this happens. You know, yeah. some of some of our friends all have busy lives and busy jobs. You have a very sort of uh, unique job, and you've been super busy. I think in something like an album cycle, or like when you're gearing up to do press, it's like you're gone all the time. It's just launching, and I and I'm missing. Uh, I keep missing your brother because your brother Greg is my roommate, and he is. Uh, down in Brazil right he, now. He's in Rio for the Olympics. And now, are you worried for him at all? Because just because of like the media attention. Of course. Uh, here's what I'll say. I'm not like, um, I'm certainly not like an alarmist. Like I don't like, you know, like I remember when, when we moved downtown, my grandmother was like, oh no, people get stabbed down there. And it's like, I, I don't, I'm not going to like listen to every little bit of thing. But I remember reading a, a CNN article, like, I don't know, a month ago, and basically they were talking about how, like, the police have decided to stop policing until the government pays them their wages, and yeah. there's crime on every corner. And, and you know, you're going to read those things, and obviously the Zika virus. All I did was I just forwarded it to Greg, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, hey, I'm like, I'm definitely not, like, uh, I'm not scared of the boogeyman or, like, sort of, like, these, they're going to write stories like that for clickbait, because, you know, people of like course. to feel afraid. I go, but... I go, maybe when you're done shooting, and, and he's down there filming for uh, the CBC, for all the, the athletes. I was like, maybe when you're not shooting, if you want to have a beer, stay in the hotel lobby and have a beer. D- you know, don't go out and explore like we have in different countries that we've been in in the past. Sure. Because I think they're just targeting people and, down there. And explain uh, what he's doing. Yeah, so Greg's down there for, uh, he's with his friend Sean Menard. They're like- Shout out to Sean. He shout out to Sean. Yeah, big time. And they're shooting this thing for the CBC. It's like, I think there's like future athletes of tomorrow that are down there kind of taking in the games that are potential future Olympians and they're profiling them and their experience down there. That's so cool. And the one thing I really like about Greg and Sean working together is that they've been friends since they were, how old, like seven years old or something? Oh my God, yeah. Sean has since gone on to produce documentaries for like the Montreal Expos. Oh yeah. He's done like a basketball doc that's been sold to ESPN. He's he's, he's killing it. Yeah, so, love yeah. go getters. I love go getters. He's a, he's a hustler, man. So, are, how much are the Olympics on your radar, Mike? I, you know, it's, I not at all leading up, other than sort of paying attention to this. Is Rio going to be ready? And it's a huge disaster. And why the IOC award them the games and corruption and you know, I'm reading about those things because it's kind of fascinating. As far as like the sport of it, I don't, I haven't paid attention. But then a funny thing happens. Once the games start, like, Danica and I have it on. Like, it's on. Like, yeah. I'm into it. Like, last night we watched um, this Canadian girl, 16-year-old. Um, I'm blanking on her name. I'm going to look it up. Uh, but she won a silver medal the second night. Her brother's, like, uh, a defenseman for the Dallas Stars. This family's, like, this really good GTA family. Oh, wow. Anyway. What, what event did she win in? Swimming. Swimming, okay. I should look up her name because she's become, like, she's become a huge star. Bruce Arthur wrote a huge, like, article about her today, and we watched it live last night, and we, like, lost our minds. So you're getting sucked into it all. We were getting sucked into yeah, it. Yeah, I feel like by... All it takes is, like, a couple moments to happen and that are shared around the internet, and everyone's like, yeah, I'm in, and you start feeling these, like, feelings of national pride. It's so interesting because I feel like with the amount of media coverage that just exists right now for the Olympic Games and just the amount of exposés that are available that are out there with reporters, you know, covering, like, the state of communities uh, in Rio and 
how, you know, people have been displaced and crime is really high and the water is, like, not drinkable. Or you, There's this one crazy story about, like, one area where people are supposed to swim. There's, like, dead bodies floating oh, around. Yeah. It's just wild. And have you given any thought, I guess, to, to the importance of the Olympics and, like, whether there needs to be a new new way of going about putting on this thing because it seems to really fuck up the communities that end up hosting it because it's always a big deal to get it but i feel like a lot of smart communities have said no we don't want to have anything to do with it yeah it seems like they get awarded uh, the olympics and they rush to, to do all this construction and build up all these areas to, to host the games and then once the circus leaves town it's all these structures just sitting there and you know like they're not being used they've they went like sort of in to a lot of debt just to build these things. And I'm not quite sure how much rub off you get. Like, I don't know. Are you going to go to Sochi anytime soon? Like, no, because the Olympics were there. I don't know. Like if you have the infrastructure, like I think, I mean, I don't know enough about it. Like I, like as a Toronto or a Chicago or like a, you know, should they just all be in one place all the time? Should we just put them all in Athens, in Athens? and never move around? Like yeah. maybe that's the answer. I don't know. Yeah. It also just seems like the organizations in charge, like FIFA are just like so corrupt and there's just so much like, big money and rich white dudes just sort of like handing checks to each other. Yeah, uh, exactly. Like what, you know, what decides who gets a games? Like a Rio, for instance, who everybody felt, you know, was vastly underqualified to host the games. They didn't have the infrastructure. They didn't have the money. They didn't have anything. And they get awarded it. So you go, how does that happen? And it's like probably somebody got a f***ing massive suitcase full of money. If FIFA has taught us anything. That's the, and you know what I mean? And then it's like, oh, well, we'll award it to them. Now, do you have any fond Olympic memories, like, from your childhood? Is there anything yeah. that sticks out to you that you're like, ooh, I remember this? Yeah, I competed in the uh, 500. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, that always gets me. <laughs> <laughs> do I have, That's a great question. Well, I mean, obviously, I think, like, I'm not, you know, we're not hockey guys, really. But I would say watching Canada win, like, the, the year that Gretzky and Lemieux played, like, going to, like, I don't know, like, 90, would it have been the 98 Olympics? Nagano, maybe? I really, uh... Was such a huge Donovan Bailey fan. Oh. Do you remember of the 96? Was that in Athens? That was Athens, I think. Could have been Athens. I, I remember the Donovan Bailey, yeah. He yeah. was like a Canadian icon. Yeah. I remember being so uh, riled up about... Um, remember when he had that like race-off against Michael Jack, Michael Johnson? <laughs> Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. <laughs> Michael Jackson moonwalked <laughs> and lost by a nut, like a fucking landslide. Um, yeah, uh, Michael... Michael Johnson. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, at yeah, the yeah. Sky Dome. Yeah. Do you remember that? I, uh, man, like, it's there in my brain. It totally rings a bell. Did you attend it? No, I didn't attend it, but I remember being very, very excited about it. And um, Michael Johnson was wearing these gold running shoes, I think. And I think they just decided, because Michael Johnson's race was 200-meter dash, and Donovan Bailey was the 100-meter dash, and so they decided to do a weird 150-meter dash. Okay. I, I, I don't split think I'm difference. making this up. Yeah, yeah, Just put yeah. the difference. And then Michael Johnson, about 40 yards in, pulls up lane. Cramped up. Cramped up. And then Donovan Bailey was like, you, this guy's full of shit. I, he just cramped up because he knew he was going to lose. And, but I remember the, just the personalities involved was so awesome. Do, do you have any uh, memories as like a young child? Like, oh, I want to be this in the Olympic Games. You know, when you're a kid, you have dreams and aspirations. Oh, it was so long ago when I had dreams and aspirations. <laughs> Hadn't quite given up yet. Um no, not the Olympics. Okay, well, I'll tell you mine. Yes. <laughs> Every question's really a setup to get the volley back. Yeah, so, you. Max, did you have any dreams or aspirations watching the Olympics as a young man? Well, 1994, 92, actually. So, I w- when I was like six or something, I loved Elvis Stoico. 
Oh. Yeah. And I, and I, hey, that's I, something. Yeah, I never learned how to stop when I was skating. I still don't know how to stop to this day. <laughs> but um, but I remember really wanting to be a figure skater and going to like the local rink with like my two friends, Tim and David, and my and our parents. Um, this is a revelation. Oh, yeah, and I tried to do like, I was very certain that one day I'd complete like a triple sow cow. <laughs> <laughs> or quadruple axle. Oh, okay, you know the names of the things. Yeah, um... And I and I thought Elvis Stoica was like the coolest guy in the world because he didn't like dance to like weird classical music. No, he was like a modern skater. Yeah, like he was like he, a hip skater. Yeah, he, he danced to like rock, rock and roll and stuff. Yeah, like Meat Low for Tom Cochran's Life is a Highway. <laughs> yeah. You know, honestly, when it, I'm sure if I were to look back at that footage now, I'd be like, this is the dorkiest stuff ever. I love it though. But uh, but in the and when I was like six or seven years old, I was like, this is so cool. And actually, uh, before old. Uh, before the old Arkells came around, uh, our family had one famous relative, and it was a guy named Marcus Christensen. And he was like a second cousin of mine. And Marcus Christensen was a figure skater, and he replaced Kurt Browning like in the Olympics because Kurt couldn't compete or something, or in the world championships. Really? So he was a very high-level figure skater. So he was sort of like the pride of, uh, of our family. Before I before I came along, <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't say that. Before I, the most famous family member. Okay, that really made me. And now, but now you think you're more famous than Christensen? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Big time. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I think it's really endearing that young Max Kerman loved figure skating. Oh yeah, I went through a few phases. I love it. Yeah. Well, Max, uh, I feel like our viewers got to know a little more about you. I feel like <laughs> I got to know a lot more about you. Um, <laughs> But today on the show, we have Billy Talent. Yeah, but we've been meaning to interview these fellas for, for a while, and now the, the time came up, the album's coming out, or it's out now. Yeah, well, I mean, the, you've got a relationship with these guys. So for a long time, it was like, oh, we'll get Billy Talent, we'll get Billy Talent on the show. And then just one thing led to another, we didn't happen, and then now they have this record out, and they came on, and they were, they were great to chat with. Yeah, the, they've had such an interesting career, um, and I'm sure you get into it with, all, with, with them. Um, but we had a chance, Eric Kells had a chance to tour with them in Germany. And for years leading up to that tour, I just heard how big Billy Talent was in Germany. And they've always been very big in Canada. But they said, no, no, you got to see us in Germany. I remember talking to their drummer, Aaron. So you got to see us in Germany. So we toured with them. And sure enough, they're playing arenas in, in Germany to 10,000 screaming Germans, like in 10 different markets. Wow. And it was pretty spectacular. And uh, I've really admired them. Um, musically speaking, because they've really defined their own sound. You, there's, you, when you hear a Billy Talent song on the radio, it's distinctly a Billy Talent song. Absolutely. Um, and they are sort of like the sum of their parts. Ian, their uh, guitar player who writes a lot of the music, is really an incredible songwriter. They talk a lot about that. Oh, do they? Specifically, yeah. And um, yeah, I've just, but I've also thought about them. I use them sort of as a good example of just how random... The, the success and acclaim and recognition in the music industry is because a lot of people ask us, the Arkells, about like, oh, you know, why aren't you guys bigger in America or whatever? I'm like, you know what? You need a little bit of luck on your side, and and as like so united as the world is from the internet, there's also like real regional differences between places. And Billy Talent's a band that can do arenas in Canada, can do arenas in Germany, can do like big club shows in the UK and South Africa. And then when they go to America, they, they probably played, a, I don't know, 500 people in or 100 people. Like, yeah. Um, and it just, there's no rhyme or reason for it. And it's not a reflection on the band at all because clearly they are an incredible rock and roll band. It's just sort of like how the chips fall in life. You can't necessarily predict um, where you're going to end up. 
uh, yeah, you where just, your audience is going to be. It almost seems like you just have to press forward and do the work yeah, and okay. hope people find it. Oh, exactly. Well, um, what, what, what did you find enlightening about the interview? Well, I'd heard this before that, like, you know, they're just good guys that, like, you know, Ben's really thoughtful and sort of um, they're they're aware and they're sort of they're present. And I found all those things to be true. Yeah. Um, the the other thing about Billy Town, which I've always thought about, uh, just sort of observing them, is that they didn't get famous until, like, their late 20s. Like, their first record, they I don't think they're, I think they're, like, 28. The band had been together, basically, for, like, 10 years yeah. before they ever got a break. And I, I really feel like that, like, grounds you in a very healthy way. Uh, when, when, you, when you're not necessarily successful from the age of 15 or been living, like, they, I think they appreciate it and they show gratitude for what they have. Totally. And, and they talk about that in the interview. I actually asked that question specifically. And, you know, they, they think that that has absolutely shaped who they are and how they approach where they're at, their success, how they contextualize it. Because they know, you know, it took a while to get there. They've, they've worked real jobs, you know. Um, and it's really interesting. How did you find touring with them just as dudes when you first started hanging out with them? Super nice, like super humble, very available to hang out with. Uh, John, who was in the interview, he like, you know, we had a day off in Munich and he was like, hey, can I hang out with you guys? I'll just go walk around. And we like walked around Munich together. <laughs> like just, yeah, totally nice guys. All right. Well, you want to get to Billy Talent? Yeah, let's do it. How was the Guns N' Roses show? Good. Amazing. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Did yeah. you guys interact with Axel at all? Or? No, we didn't get to interact with anyone, really. Which is a shame because we, we know Duff. We've met Duff a few times and he's come to some shows and uh, or a show, I should say, in Sydney. Um, but he was a lovely fellow, and so I think that's probably why how we got on oh, the show. Cool. Yeah, but there was no like after hugs or before handshakes. But they're busy fellas. Yeah, sure. <laughs> we were like in our little umpires. Yeah, yeah. We got room. to watch the uh, their show in the visitor dugout. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah drinking yeah, beers in the dugout cool. with their feet. That was pretty rad. Yeah, that's yeah, amazing. That's, and he's huge baseball fan. So that's pretty. Cool. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny. Yeah. Actually, Nick from the Arkells is a massive baseball. Yeah, fan. watching the that, Jays actually. game yeah, last yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, how did you guys get like? Is that like a thing where you get a call and it's like, hey, do you guys want to play with Guns and Roses? And are you like, what the? Literally our, email. Our manager, yeah, he said he was going to try to do it, and we just didn't really yeah, think yeah, twice about it. We've heard everything over the years, so we're like, okay, well, that sounds great. Sounds neat until it happens. Yeah. <laughs> and it happened and uh, we were in Europe and I, I think I was taking a nap or something and then my phone just started going like bananas and it was Ben texting me you gotta check your email check your email <laughs> and I was like oh okay this is great yeah I, I was laying in my bed with my laptop much like what you're doing right now <laughs> in my underwear going out order room service and watch Game of Thrones and uh, got the email yeah are y'all finished Game of Thrones now oh Caught yeah up? yeah yeah what yeah. a finale that amazing. was amazing yeah, that was yeah. satisfying I like the, yeah, very episode. Episode. the second last episode the penultimate episode yeah, yeah, where uh, yeah. John took on yeah. Uh, everything yeah, yeah exactly the entire universe and his sword um, on this pod, we like to sort of get into the minutiae of sort of how artists do their work. Sure. And so, you know, like when you guys are in like writing mode, you guys have been making music full time for a long time now. What does a typical workday look like? You know, how are the demos circulated? You know, who books the rehearsal? Like, what's your workflow like when you guys are making a record? Well, we're actually fortunate enough that we, uh, over the years, we, I mean, we were at the rehearsal space, sis, yeah. <laughs> for a decade. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Uh, so we've ended up over the last probably five or six years, we, we, we bought a place and we transformed it into like a rehearsal kind of, you know, where we rehearse and set up all our stuff. And then slowly we've turned it into our studio as well. That's so awesome. we, I mean, I recorded all my vocals for the last two records there. John and Ian did all the guitars there as well. So, I mean, yeah, it's a, kind of our place. So. Yeah. 
usually we rehearse around like one till four. four. You know what I mean? No breaks actually go one to four. And mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's a break, break in there, but you know. but yeah, that's like that's when we're like when we're writing. I mean, it's a, little, a lot more liberal than that because Ian's the main songwriter of the band, so he kind of comes up with the ideas, and then once he's ready to kind of show all of us, and we go and hang out, and he shows us, and then we kind of then we work on them, you know. Fascinating. So yeah. he'll like he'll sort of have like a like a, a chord structure, and then he'll have demos, and we bring it, then you're coloring it, you know, with bass, and then do you put melody? He actually probably yeah, he does just about everything. Yeah, he's. I mean, sometimes he'll present us a demo that's like basically it sounds like it's a finished song. Yeah, you know, except for maybe some lyrics or. Some melody stuff, maybe or something. like just need some arrangement changes or yeah. whatever like that. But yeah, it all depends, it all depends on, on, on the how, song and, the, and how he's feeling too. Sometimes yeah. he's precious about an idea and wants to see it all the way through, or sometimes he gives us shows us an idea to maybe help stimulate. Yeah, him. yeah, yeah. So yeah, it usually comes from him. And then when we're getting ready for shows, we usually just jam a couple of sets or whatever. Yeah, we'll go through. Now, man, we have a lot of songs to play now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, speaking of that, like, you guys have been doing this a long time, and, you know, whenever there's a band with, like, a massive, like, sort of fan base, when you guys are writing a new record, how do you reconcile sort of the idea of maybe, like, oh, we want to sort of maybe go in a different direction with a sound, but we also have this massive fan base that, you know, they're expecting a certain thing from us. How do you guys as artists sort of, like, is there, like, a need, like, yeah, maybe we want to try something a little more jazzy, but we want to serve our fans, or is it kind of, like this is the music you'd be making anyway I just think that we're the four of us and although Aaron didn't play on this record but he, he was there for the whole the 98% of the writing process of it um, is that there's just something about the four the way the four of us interact you know so um, like we've been playing together for 23 years you know so when you kind of have that unspoken kind of chemistry there's something that just kind of happens you know so when we're going to, to work on a record there's never I don't think the intention is ever like we're going to do the same thing let's just write the same record we always try to challenge ourselves within the confines of what we are do yeah you, do you know what I mean totally yeah if that makes any sense but I mean yeah. do, you, do you think about like oh fans carry certain expectations no I think once you do that you're down the water yeah, yeah. so like I, I, that, that, that's what I think you know, I don't know how other bands work but it's like well that song seemed to work so let's write 15 more like that one you know <laughs> right. and then it's a, yeah and then you just kind of become a parody of yourself and then you're gone mm-hmm. yeah, I think bands of any substance always challenge themselves uh, challenge their listeners and I think that's definitely on this record I think that the playing on the record is the best we've ever played like I think John's playing Ian's playing kind of my singing at times okay uh, but I think it's all you know it's 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 the best of us where we're at after being you know lucky to do this for the last 20 plus years you know so I think though if Ian came to us with a country song or hip hop song or something like that we might think about whether or not our fans would digest it properly there'd be a conversation yeah, I think we would have a <laughs> no, little bit of a conversation yeah. Yeah. conversations no but in yeah. general like we, we just write songs that we think are awesome and that's always worked yeah but for, what we for think the fans. Yeah, what we like yeah. yeah and if it moves you then it has to move someone else that's yeah. kind of our our modus operandi, yeah. Um, you mentioned Aaron's not playing on this record or didn't no. play on this record. When it became apparent with his complications with MS that he couldn't play on the record, how did those conversations go? And how did you guys sort of decide to go forward like this where it's like he's still a major part of it, he's in all the press photos? It was, it was, it was it dark. Was, it was devastating. Yeah. It was it was a dark, dark moment. You know, not only is he our bandmate, but he's like one of, you know, he's our dearest friend as well, you know? So when someone that you love so much who you've, like, 
you know, literally been in the trenches with for over, you know, 20 years, for them not to be able to do what they love, and which is, you know, being in a band is a very intimate thing as well, right? And uh, for him not to be there was, yeah, it really took the wind out of our sails. And, you know, and the, it, 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 there's no there's no handbook of how to, what to do, right? Like, there's no, there was no point of reference that we could refer to to be like, oh, you know, so you're kind of left to your own devices and... And, you know, we, we obviously are pretty transparent guys. We're very sensitive guys. And so there was a lot of dialogue with Aaron and about not moving forward and waiting until he gets better. And, you know, the thing with his, one of the shitty things of his disease is that you don't know. It's erratic. It's irregular. So it could be, you feel good for, like he did for 15 years, and then all of a sudden take a turn, you know? But that's not to say that he can't bounce back and feel better again, right? So... We wanted to wait. Uh, he did not want us to wait because he didn't want that to be resting on his shoulders. And so then when the decision came that we were actually going to move forward, we were actually were going to record the record, which is what we were, we were intending because we were hoping Aaron would be better by the time we were actually doing shows. So anyway, uh, when it came time to, you know, <coughs> that we were going to record, we asked the only person who would want to be, who's part of our family in an extended family kind of way, was Jordan from uh, Rapid from Alexa on Fire and Say Yes. So he came down, we presented him with the, the predicament, and uh, graciously he decided to donate his time and energy and, you know, was very sensitive and very um, you know, amazing with the whole situation and is a good friend of Aaron's as well. So it's been, uh, it's been a really, really challenging thing. Um, I think we've all dealt with it the best that we've could. And I think, you know, Aaron has a team of people now working around him and he's starting to feel a little bit better and get inspired. And, you know, we're all keeping our fingers crossed that his recovery is going to be, you know, is going to happen sooner than later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, with this new record that you mm. recorded, what are your hopes and goals whenever you put it in your record, I suppose? I hope people fucking hate it. <laughs> <laughs> a disaster? <laughs> Unmitigated I disaster? Hope it's a... <laughs> No, I mean, well, the intention is that I, I honestly think that there's everything is very pedestrian and homogenized and very safe right now in the rock and roll format. And I think this is a really good roll down your window, turn up your car stereo kind of record, you know, and mm-hmm. I think it's a big, badass sounding record. I think the, 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 the lyrical themes and topics are very relevant. I think the playing is great. And yeah, I just think it's, I hope people get their rock and roll quota filled. <laughs> I hope it takes us around the world. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that everything's sort of homogenized and you hope that maybe this will be something you can crank and roll down your windows. A song like Louder Than The DJ, um, I think it's going to be like an awesome, obviously, like live show. And I think your fans, and especially like rock fans, will sort of maybe relate to a song like that. I guess with like, basically, I don't know, like music fans moving towards electronic music and sort of more like I mean I guess people always liked pop mm-hmm. what are, is your guys views on that do you like does it bum you out are you sort of excited for the direction music popular music is going or is it kind of like fuck we're going to keep doing our thing and we want to kind of push against that I'm, I'm kind of nervous about the, the state of rock and roll a, a little bit but then I just kind of try and look at the big picture and keep it in perspective that all music is cyclical like this and I think we're going through a, a, like a kind of like a phase like like the 80s where like radio and rock had taken a back seat and pop music was so uh, prevalent and different types of pop music like Depeche Mode or um, Morrissey or whatever things other things were were happening and I think that's what's kind of happening now in 
it'll come around again. People will get tired of it and pull out the guitars and be influenced by guitar-based bands and start creating that music again. Yeah. I think that's... But I'd say, like, this last five or six years of music has just been pretty depressing. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> I like Taylor Swift, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, pop music will always be, like, yeah, pop, alive. That's always, never gone. It never goes yeah, away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A, but, uh... I don't know. There's a lot of good bands coming out, especially, like, pop from Toronto and uh, the Dirty Nell from Hamilton, which are, like, good rock and roll oh, yeah. bands. Like, And so I have faith. You know, I have a faith that it's coming back. And you know, I think there's also good shit happening. Like I see your Biffy patch up there. Biffy's coming out with a new record. Kings of Leon are coming out with a new record. Uh, you know, Chili's just came out with a new record. Green Day is coming out with a new Blink. record. Blink just came out with a new record. We're coming out with a new record. Against Meads just came out with a new record. Rise Against is coming out with a new record. Sun Forty One's coming out. With, like that's a lot of rock. Yeah. Fucking Blink went to number one on Billboard. Not that yeah. that matters anymore. Well, but, like, that's, but that's still that's, that's signs, remarkable. Right? That's, yeah. yeah, that's remarkable. There's signs that, that, that I think that people are getting excited about. That's what I'm role. saying. So there's something, something's happening again. You know? I just went to the Alternative Press Awards and saw a bunch of bands. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but there's some bands that are all right. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, it's interesting when, uh, you know, we talk to sort of people that have been successful in their field and it's like, I think that there's a correlation between people that, I don't want to ask this. It took you guys a while to become successful, be able to do music full time. Do you think that that... A decade? Yeah. Do you think like waiting a decade for ultimately being able to have like a full time gig in music colors the way that you approach, I don't know, that job? You know what I'm getting at? Yeah, Yeah. I think so. I think we're probably more careful by the way, or more precious. And appreciative. And appreciative to what we have because it all started a little later in life for us where we had been working day jobs, paying rent and surviving as young 20 year olds and then all of a sudden now we get to do the rock and roll thing full time it was amazing and so I think we're much more appreciative of it I think we're also more appreciative of like the inner dynamic of how like bands work and you know we got to focus on each other and and as people and and grow as that kind of unit as well and also like we now you know we know what it's like to pay for studio time out of your own pocket and like max out a credit card and each of us pay the monthlies and like postering you know, every other weekend and begging bands to open for them and playing in people's, you know, basements to Chinese food restaurants to, you know, just dragging your friends out in the middle of February to come see you at a shithole bar, you know what I mean? It's like, we did that for 10 years. So our intention was always that and making it grow, you know? And uh, so I think by the time that we got, things started getting momentum, we, we appreciated the whole inner working of how it all worked and appreciate all the facets and how hard it works and that and we still have great relationships with all of the people and their different extensions it's not just like we have like this faceless corporation that's working for us like we we call these people and we know their wives and their friends and, you know yeah, yeah absolutely you know, yeah it becomes more like this as opposed to just this like hey i'm 22 and drunk yeah you know, like, <laughs> cool you know yeah absolutely so, um you know, there's probably a lot of bands that you guys played with that you came up with that maybe you thought were very good that don't get to this sort of level. Mm-hmm. How much of a role do you think luck plays in, like, massive success? Or do you think it's hard yeah, work? That's, that's a great question. I think, I think there's something cosmic about it. There's, there's hard there's work, luck, circumstance, yeah. the people you're with, you know. How you treat other vibes. people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think there's, it's, luck is, has a part, a part to do with it, but there's so many intangibles that, that come into it the success of an artist 
And for us, work we, ethic. we were lucky because we, you know, when we first came out, much music was still played videos and were such huge supporters of us. Like, such huge supporters of us. When really they shouldn't have been because we were this weird band of this little freak screaming and a guy with a big hair, you know, like, and it was just like, what, what is this? You yeah. know? And they embraced us and they really, and they put us in front of televisions all across the nation and like really helped us. And then, you know, mediums changed. So people, then the internet started becoming a lot more popular and there wasn't, everyone wasn't drinking from the same kind of well. You right. Know? And the and same with like radio stations and we were, had a lot of success with that. And so then the door closed and that kind of got sealed up and that's no longer... That's no longer... That's not a pathway anymore. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So it's not like an artery that you can kind of go through, right? So we were lucky in that sense that we kind of came in and got a lot of exposure right up front. And then now we're just trying to maintain that or, you know, obviously grow it. But we had a we had a lot of luck in the beginning with that. They were much as big, like huge in our success. And we're really lucky to have a guy in the band that's such a prol- prolific songwriter too, which I mean, not every band has that. So yeah, gotta, that helps with the longevity as well, right? It's pretty good. <laughs> um, finally, where do you guys see the band in 10 years? What are your hopes for Billy Talent in the future? We're still on the road. Hopefully keep doing this shit. Yeah, you yeah. know. We just, you know, it's, it's, this is all we know. We like, we've been music. doing it since we were 16 years old together. So it's like asking like someone like, who's like a carpenter who dedicated their whole life to carpentry. Like, well, what are you going to do in 10 years? Like, I'm probably going to be f***ing standing wood, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to everybody's favorite part of the podcast, the dessert. This is a very special dessert today because Max, uh, not only do we have our pop culture aficionado Shane Cunningham on, we have his wonderful fiance Alex here as well. Yeah, welcome to the show, Alex. Thanks for having me. We just finished uh, a softball game. Uh, we're, we're literally all, all in softball jerseys. <laughs> Maybe we'll post a photo of We will of post this. a photo of us all wearing our Pete Rose and the Gamblers jerseys. It's true. Um, but first of all, Max, the reason we're here, the reason we have Alex and Shane on collectively is because this past weekend um, there was a big bachelor party. Bachelor, bachelor at party. Yeah, what do you even call this thing? I think that exactly. A bachelor, bachelor at party. Mm-hmm. And I'll say this is the first a bachelor party that I've missed. Julian and I prided ourselves on being the only people that haven't missed the bachelor party. But right now, Julian's the only person who's made every single one. You relinquished um, your title. Yeah. So, first of all, guys, how did it feel to have... How Walk us through the whole process, uh, the decision to have a bachelor, bachelor at party. Well, I... Uh, it, all, it all began, kind of, people who listen to the pod know, I went to a strip club. Because I missed the bachelor party. Yeah. So, Alex felt bad for me. I believe it was uh, right. Mike D's... In Montreal. Uh, uh, bachelor party, uh, the lead guitarist of the Arkells. Uh, I missed his, so Alex felt bad that I, I missed it, so she wanted to take me to a strip club. <laughs> As any good partner would. Yeah, she was like, ah, no big deal, we'll go to the strip club. I said, wow, Alex is the coolest <laughs> girlfriend ever. So Alex uh, didn't know how fun strip clubs were, <laughs> so she allowed me to go to one with her. But then apparently it got a little too fun because immediately uh, afterwards she said, no more strip clubs. Okay. <laughs> Unless she was there, then it was okay. Okay. So that plan kind of backfired what turned into like a fun thing eventually turned into like a rule that i i can't do anymore go to which is go to strip club that's not the rule though can i go to a strip club that's not what we discussed the rule was (laughs) uh lab dances are i had no idea how physical lap dances are i thought they just like actually just grinded on you it is insanely physical. Full contact. Grinding is pretty physical. No, but they put your hands on them. I did, like, she's like, oh, like, grab these, touch this, slap this. It's insane. 
So I thought a lap dance was just that they would dance around you in a private room, not that there would be so much touching. I thought that was actually forbidden. Okay. So... Not forbidden. Mm. No, okay. but, but forbidden for Shane now. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that was the impetus okay. to me not being allowed to have a bachelor party of my own. What am I? Am I saying it wrong? Yeah, that was also not how it was discussed. I never forbid you for like to not have a bachelor party. You told me you were getting stress peas behind your ear. <laughs> For people who don't know, when you have a high anxiety, like I do and some other people do, you get a pee behind your ear. Just uh, worried about you, that. I don't know if anyone wants to feel it right now, but feel that. You've developed one just now during just this now. podcast. No, this is about our wedding. Uh, I'm getting this. But anywho, point is, we had to have a co-bachelor, bachelorette party. Alex is rolling her eyes at me right now. But <laughs> wait for the end of the story because it was one of the best ones ever. Yeah, that's what I heard. I missed it. And I heard it was a, a full day of activities. And, and Mike planned it. Yep. And uh, I, Not alone. I planned it with Alex's wonderful uh, bridesmaids, ladies, uh, Jesse and Tamara, who were, were super great. But yeah, like there was Shaney Boy 69ers jerseys made. So walk us through, yeah, the whole day. Well, it started with uh, basketball is my favorite sport. So it started with a basketball game at this awesome high school gymnasium. And Alex is very good at basketball as well, so she could hold her own and hoop with us. Yeah, I th- is that your favorite sport? It's my favorite sport, but I'm not so good at it anymore. Yeah, me either. Yeah, we're both not very good anymore. But point is, it's very hard to get uh, a good gymnasium. Yeah. Like, it's, right now you got to, like, pay a janitor, all this stuff. you got to jump through a bunch of tape, but... <laughs> you didn't go with hoops? <laughs> You gotta, gotta go through a bunch of. We're editing everything else, so you gotta go through a bunch of hoops. Oh, nice basketball! I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Which, but luckily, uh, we pulled some strings and we got it. Luckily, yeah, it was awesome. So that started the day. So we got a sweat on. Then we came back to Mike's mansion, which we're recording from right now. It is now. not a mansion. Go on. Big ass place, and we had <laughs> we had an awesome pre drink, and we you guys rented a school bus for us. To go to Niagara Falls. You were leaving out the can game. That was the hit of the night. We played this amazing can game. Shane Cunningham's co-director, Mark Myers, on Drake's dad, invented. You remember in, in Bahamas how Myers became like the trip dad? Oh, he's the best trip dad. He's the best trip dad. He invented a can game in the backyard. How does it work? But I made the rules for it. Okay. Oh, sorry, Shane. Basically, you set up three. <laughs> it's just like when they direct. Yeah, Shane and Mark. <laughs> so I, uh, basically, you set up three cans, and you throw a tennis ball, and you have to... Knocks the cans off. It's a complicated game. <laughs> <laughs> Full of intricate rules. But let's say, you only, let's say you only knock two cans off. You don't get all of them. You only get two points. And then there's two retrievers who, who fetch the ball for you. That retriever throws the ball back to you. And if you don't catch that ball with one hand and you drop it, you lose a point. Okay. So basically, the more people drank, the more difficult the game I became, see, which made it entertaining. It was very fun. But the funnest part of the night was the school bus because all of our friends are maniacs and uh, <laughs> they just go crazy in the back of the school bus. And for whatever reason, anytime we rent a school bus, like we do for Kita Bell in a few yeah. weeks, it's just the best part of any night. And we went to Niagara Falls. I, I, saw, I saw a picture of you guys uh, pulled over on the side of the highway, like. Ten guys in a row just pissing. Pee break. Yeah, yeah. pee break because everybody... Yeah, that was like uh, our the friend, highlight of the night, oddly. Our friend Jules uh, didn't hesitate to start stripping. Yeah, Jules, Jules loves... Girls are putting money in his... Party leader. He was a party leader. Yeah. 
And then we went to this meat place, which is uh, it's called <laughs> Copacabana, a Brazilian uh, steakhouse. Brazilian steakhouse, right? well, Otherwise known as the meat place. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> oh, there was a can game and there was some meat. <laughs> we bounced the ball. And then, <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> and then we went to uh, a, a bachelor, bachelorette party for cavemen. Really? <laughs> and Kate, wait, did you, did, you changed doing a lot of talking, Alex. How did you feel about the, the order of events and everything that went down? Oh, it was incredible. You guys are absolutely the best for planning that basketball, can game, meat place. What, like, what were your thoughts on the bus ride? The bus ride was incredible. I, uh, there were a lot of very good looking young men taking <laughs> off their shirts. That's, um, a, that's a forte had, of the champagne boys, I'd like to say. I had uh, Love My Life beside me, listening to stories about. Uh, Real estate from his buddy Todd. Who? And uh, uh, Shane yeah, is the love of her life. Oh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Can you feel it? <laughs> um, so then we, then, and then after the Brazilian steakhouse, uh, all you can eat, uh, we decide to go to a fine establishment in Niagara Falls called Peppermints. And now this is a strip club. And the reason we decided on this strip club is because it, it has women and men. So there's something for everybody. You can enjoy the ladies upstairs. And then you can go down and have a laugh with the dudes downstairs. But I actually didn't, I almost didn't make it into that place because the nut you'll en- was... You'll enjoy this, Max. Yeah, the <laughs> nut kind of came out a little bit. Okay. And he basically wanted to put like a year's worth of stuff into one night. So as the second we got off the bus, he wanted to rap battle. <laughs> so then, okay, we're rap battling, we're rap battling. How, how are the rap battles? Any good lines? None. No, <laughs> he, had, he, he he won the rap battle, okay. kind of. I was really out of it at that point. I'm better, like, sober rap battling. Yeah. Yeah, I'm learning. This is good information for regular listeners of the pod that have been very invested in Shane yeah. and the Nuts feud. And then Julian was refereeing this debate. I heard Julian was loving it. <laughs> we were debating outside the strip club for an hour and a half <laughs> on uh, why he's an asshole. Well, where were you, Alex? Enjoying the strip club. <laughs> <laughs> and then Greg, Mike's brother, Greg, eventually pulled me out. And he's like, oh, your boys are in there. And, uh, like, waiting for me. So I went into the strip club. And guys were flashing me wads of $1,800 that night. Oh, like, we got you taken care of, Shane. Like, a couple of our friends were doing that. And then I ended up, guys, like, get in there. And I had one lap dance. A guy only... Put, Gave twenty bucks, even though he's promising me eighteen hundred dollars worth <laughs> all night. I also, I also think that you should have indulged the nut in whatever you want to talk about, rap about, because he bought like eight bottles of Moe throughout our dinner. See, they, Al, this is why Alex is very good at diplomatic. I love the nut. The nut bought eight bottles of Moe through, along with our friend Sean he, Menard. He's kind of, I will say this, he's kind of turned a new leaf. The nut, and uh, like in the in the our Champagne Boys message group, anytime someone's being remotely mean. He'll kind of, like, say, hey, guys, we're trying to be nice. And the other day, just randomly, we were out buying gifts for uh, some members of my wedding party. Uh, and then Nut messaged me, and he was like, hey, I just want to say sorry for being the way I've been, you know, all this. I shouldn't be that way. Then I, I felt, like, touched by it, and I was, like, buying gifts. So then I, I bought him a gift. Oh, and so I kind of got him the best one of all, I think. You did, actually. Yeah. <laughs> But Martin, you got the best. You're the best man. But I mean, like he got a, a, the nicest of the loser. It's not a competition. Gifts. I'm just happy to be. If there, it was, man. you'd win, though, Mike. <laughs> Thank you so much for that bachelor party. <laughs> That's it. That's all. That is our episode. Uh, we want to thank Billy Talent, who are amazing. 
I want to thank Shane and Alex for coming on and talking about their bachelor slash bachelorette trend setting. Big shout out to uh, Greg and Sean Bernard who are down in Brazil. Stay safe, boys. Stay safe. And a huge thank you to Jenna Gregory, as always, who provides the artwork for the show, jennasdoodles.com. Let's uh, give a big thank you to Tara Paquette, who uh, does all the graphics. Yeah, she's Uh, great. She's amazing. And uh, Greg Stewart for just being the most organized dude as we send flurries of emails to him, not knowing what the hell's going on, and he sets us straight. And Dan Crothers, who is always keeping us super... uh on schedule yeah we got a really amazing team uh please uh listen and subscribe to the show leave us a comment on itunes it makes a big difference tell your friends we love doing this stuff uh and the more people that know about it the better mike and much podcast is produced by max Kerman, and i'm your host mike veerman see you next week if we don't die on the weekend boom